Welcome to Coaching the Whole Educator, the podcast that helps instructional coaches, teacher leaders, and school leaders. I'm Becca, former educator and school coach turned transformational coach of coaches. I'm on a mission to help you improve your educators' effectiveness and resilience, especially the ones who need it most. Each week, we'll cover quick tips, strategies, and coaching mindsets so that you can be on top of your coaching game. Are you ready? Let's dive in. And now a word from our sponsor. One of the challenges of instructional coaching is finding affordable, specialized training that's designed just for you. That's why we're excited to share an online event designed just for instructional coaches. The Better Together Conference is a free online event that connects you to thousands of fellow coaches around the world. It's a one-day virtual event with dynamic keynote speakers, including Jim Knight and breakout sessions designed to help you grow as an instructional coach. Head to sydney.com front slash TWE to register for this free event. That's S-I-B-M-E dot com forward slash T-W-E. Or you can click the link in the show notes. Hello, 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 coaches and leaders. I am so excited to have Dr. Orbe Austin back on the show. She previously was on an episode that discussed imposter syndrome. If you have not listened to it, please, after this episode, go and listen to it. It is full of really great information. But today we're going to be talking about something different. We're going to be talking about toxic positivity. And it is exactly how it sounds. Whenever I say this term, people are like, oh, they don't even know the definition. And they're like, yes, I want to hear about this. (laughs) So uh, this is a personal passion of mine to discuss. It is rampant in schools. And so Dr. Orbe Austin, first, I wanted to welcome you back. Thank you for having me back. I'm happy to be back. Yes. So I'd love you to share with the listeners briefly, what's your background? background and um, just what's your background? Sure. Um, So I'm a psychologist. I'm a licensed psychologist um, and I do a lot of uh, executive coaching and that's my main main focus. I also consult um, and I I have two books out on um, imposter syndrome and regularly also talk to the media about issues of like uh, workplace issues, you know, cultural issues, issues of uh, you know, kind of psychological um, impact. And so that's generally, yeah. Love that. <laughs> Love that. No, no, you're just like, you're the topics you talk about. I'm all super interested in, and they are everything you specialize in are present in schools. <laughs> yes. So the first thing I want to dive into is what is toxic positivity? And I actually, I wrote down a definition that I found really interesting. I found on the internet. Um, and I'm curious your your professional opinion about this. Um, I, uh, it says toxic positivity is the excessive overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. This includes when people respond to distress with false reassurances rather than empathy and by dismissing difficult or challenging emotions. Yes, I completely agree with that. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> and I, I, I really, what, what really moved me about this was the excessive overgeneralization. Things like it is what it is, or this too shall pass, right? Yeah. Or could it's, be worse. Or... It could be. Oh, someone said that to me a couple of weeks ago, and literally anger rose up in me. Like, don't, don't tell me how it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the first thing I'd love to hear from you is, 
What are some common misidentifications of toxic positivity? Do people confuse toxic positivity with other things? Yeah, I mean, I think people sometimes overgeneralize toxic positivity to be that <laughs> anytime someone ever raises anything positive about a circumstance, it's not that you can't raise something positive or can't you know have a positive experience about a difficult situation. It's just when you're trying to suppress the difficult pieces of that or trying to dismiss it or kind of keep it under wraps. And um, that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about any positive response that you have to a difficult circumstance. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is, this is really good. Right. And, and I, um, I spend quite a bit of time. People will tell me, Becca, you're so positive. And I, you know, it, it, it might be true, but I really, because of toxic positivity, I want to distance myself. So I actually, this is what I say. And, and please coach me on this episode. I, I would love to be coached. I say, I'm not positive. I'm empowered. <laughs> I and, love I, that. And, and I don't know, do you, do you feel like that's in an, an inaccurate thing to say? No, I don't think it's an, an accurate thing to say. Like, I think you can feel really empowered. And as a result of feeling pa- empowered and feeling your agency and power, you do feel like you have solutions even to the most difficult of circumstances. It's about resilience. I think that's that, that I think is different than toxic positivity. Toxic positivity tends to be fairly simplistic in its response. You know, it's really trying to brush off the difficult moment, not being like, I see the difficult moment. And so often in schools, difficult things do happen. Yeah, they really do. Right. And, very, very and, and, and sometimes uh, schools can experience collective trauma. Yeah. Right? So everyone's just kind of, kind of you know, treading water and trying to almost help yes. each other and everyone's treading water. And, and one of the attempts to do, especially in the thick of the pandemic was these toxic, positive statements. People would say to me, people would say they, they would, they would um, show up on zoom, right. Cause for a while we we're on, we we're virtual and, and I'd say, how are you? And they'd say they would go on this very specific rant about the things they were really dealing with. Yeah. And then they would end with, but it's okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And yeah, I would, I'm not would, sick. I'm healthy. Yeah. I'm blessed. You know, all of these things that really just dismiss what they just said, really take away from the painful things that they're sharing. Yeah. And I think oftentimes underneath that is this feeling like, you know, it could be where someone else is also suffering, but, you know, we often talk about not being in the suppress, like the, the suffering Olympics or the oppression Olympics. Like you can have your own pain. And while someone's pain may be more difficult, you still have a right to your own pain. And I think that's a, such an important thing to hold on to that while yes, somebody else's life may be worse, it doesn't mean your pain doesn't exist and doesn't need to be validated. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that's such an important concept to hold on to is that yeah. we're not kind of comparing pain and there's only certain people who can suffer and certain people who cannot suffer. Right. Um, in their book, uh, Emily and Amelia Nagoski wrote a book about burnout um, and about it's about burnout. You need to complete your stress cycle. And they talk about people in caring professions have what they called human giver syndrome that people become human givers and not human beings. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think about like, you know, people think they're not um, allowed, essentially allowed to feel their own pain. Right. Uh, And we, and, and anyway, they they speak about that in the book about people that suffer from this humor, human giver syndrome that, that it's like identify as a giver and a helper. And so I'm just going, going, going and to stuff the negative feelings down. I use toxic positivity. I I eat my feelings, right? There's all these strategies to, to brush away the negative feelings instead of actually facing them. Yeah. Because I do think, you know, when you're in the, and sometimes it's quite unhealthy to be a giver and a helper. 
Um, we talk about this too in our imposter syndrome work is that one of the roles that is very toxic for people with imposter syndrome is helper. Um, because oftentimes we don't know how to ask for help ourselves. It feels very foreign. It feels vulnerable. It feels uncomfortable. And we tend not to ask for help. But that's, the, you are cr- creating inequitable relationships in doing so, which are toxic. And then also really thinking about, um, you know, knowing that you need help, that that help is going to be sought somehow, whether you're soothing yourself from food or you're sitting at drinking or other pseudo regulators that you're engaging in that are, are in some ways just stuff, stuff, stuffing, because you also need help, but you have not learned how to ask for it or receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that's a really important thing to notice if you are struggling with kind of, you know, wanting to be always positive and always on the bright side of things, but feeling like there are other things that you can't ever share. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that you just haven't learned how to ask for help or how to receive help in a way that feels safe. Mm-hmm. One, I want to ask what external circumstances uh, would almost support toxic positivity. And then I want to know what internal circumstances would cause someone, someone to have toxic positivity. Yes. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with the internal one. So I think the biggest one is really discomfort with negative feelings. And so I think people often feel like if someone is in a bad space, the best thing you can do is make them feel happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually not the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do is be present with their feelings validate those feelings and sit with those feelings. And I think we often fear that if we sit with them and we validate them, it'll make them worse. It'll make it bigger. It'll make it so big. I can't even handle it. But usually it actually makes them smaller and it makes people feel seen and heard and mild. they might cry or they might erupt. They're going to recover from that. Um, and so I do think it is, is important to really recognize that it's not a helpful thing necessarily to, to encourage them to shove it down or for you to also shove it down but to be present in that emotion, even if it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for them too. But to sit in discomfort is is actually a really powerful experience. And then in terms of external, I think oftentimes in certain environments, people feel like things are not going to change. So you better just make the best of it. And so I think they're often trying to acculturate you sometimes to that idea is like, no, you know, that what, what you want to change is not going to change or what you were, or you're disappointed about is that you're always going to be disappointed about. And they just kind of want you to get used to it. <laughs> you know, and it, it makes me think of one of the things that I really believe in as very powerful um, with coaching is listening. And and we can listen in lots of different ways. Um, but I something I teach often is reflective listening. Yeah. Right? Sitting with someone and what they said, not my interpretation of what they said, but actually what they said, right? And and often when I reflectively listen to my coaches and leaders, they will cry and apologize for crying, which I find very interesting, right? Yes. Um, and it it in education, there's I think just this kind of norm where we put on a brave face, we don't look weak, and we go and do the job, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. to sit with someone during difficult times, and and difficult could look different for you than it could look for me, right? Yes. So we have to be careful of our shoulds. Like you yeah. shouldn't have a difficult time. That yeah. shouldn't be hard. I had a um I had a leadership team tell me last week. I said, I think your teachers are really struggling. There's a a gap between what you're asking them to do and what they're actually doing. And they said, no, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be having a hard time. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh man. (laughs) Right. And so, um, you know, the ability and the willingness to sit with someone and have different tools and skills to sit with them. Right. So we're we're saying, Hey, Hey, just do this. And reflective listening is one, one tool for that. 
Yeah. And I think too, with the reflective listening, such an important piece of it is the empathy too, that goes in it. You can, you can reflect back what someone's saying to them and do it in a very cold and matter of fact way. And they can feel frightened by hearing their words back to them in that Mm -hmm. way. And so you really have to not only be able to reflect back the words, but also the emotion in the words Mm -hmm. um, so that they feel heard and understood fully and don't feel like you're just clinically looking at them. Cause I think it makes them can make them really feel vulnerable. Uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Right. And I, I really appreciate you saying the emotion that, that reflective listening or really any tool that could be given to a coach or leader to sit with someone in their difficult emotions could be used in, ineffectively and yeah. actually cause damage. Yeah. So, so my last question, I'm really curious about what you're going to say about this. I want to hear how can leaders purposefully build a culture that does not support uh, toxic positivity and does support empowerment? I think it's really important to think about sort of like, what are the behaviors that I'm supporting? What are the things that I'm putting in place? And how do they support the culture that I'm trying to build? And you might actually have a theory like that. Oh, yes, this is going to do it. And then when it doesn't show up, you're like, what happened? What's wrong with these people? You might want to look at sort of like what you did and maybe it didn't have the same outcome and you have to look at sort of other ways of doing that. And I think you have to really be listening and to responding to what's actually happening in the behavior of the people, not what you think is theoretically happening. Um, and to listen to what their complaints are and to respond to them with validation for those complaints and an attempt to do something about it because nothing feels worse than when somebody says, yeah, I see the problem. We can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it feels very disempowering and it feels like in you in a leadership role have no authority to change that. And you must have some. And I think if you can't take up your agency, how are they going to take up theirs? Mm-hmm. And so I do think it's so important to think about how do you model this? How do you support it? How do you support dissent to the, to your own leadership? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to tolerate dissent to your own leadership, to the things that you're building. And then respond to it because that's what builds a powerful organization where people are not in group think. Not everyone's thinking the same thing. People are thinking different things and they can all be heard and seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and people feel, you know, people feel like they have voice. So I do think that's super important to kind of doing it. But I think also culture is a moving thing. It's not static and you constantly have to be thinking about it, dealing with it, responding to things that are not going well with kind of a, a an approach toward change. Mm-hmm. Um, cause culture is always evolving. That makes me think about psychological safety. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of my favorite <laughs> concepts. <laughs> You're literally describing a, creating a culture of psychological safety, right? Yeah. You know, a, a leader creating a culture where it is safe to criticize what is happening, to question what is happening, right? To have out of the norm opinions. That it's safe to do that doesn't mean you as a leader are going to accept and take action on their opinions, but it is safe to make mistakes and, and, um, you know, uh, be messy. Yeah. And to express dissent and really to question things and to really allow for that to happen because then people feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. They don't have to bring some segment of themselves that you accept and the rest of them they have to leave behind. They can actually bring their whole selves. And that's what we're talking about with toxic positivity is bringing your whole self, mm-hmm. not just the part that's positive and happy, but how do you bring your whole self and how does it not feel scary for others to, you know, to kind of do that as well. And so I'm like, when we talk about healthy cultures, to me, one of the fundamental pieces of that is psychological safety, that the organization has to kind of be prioritized psychological safety for all the members of that organization 
from the top to the, from to the bottom, like everyone has to feel some sense of psychological safety. And if they don't, you have to wonder why and what you can do about it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you maybe a tough question. Um, walking away from this, uh, this episode, is there a concrete exercise that leaders could do with, or an activity that leaders could do with the teachers and coaches at their school um, to create a sense of psychological safety, to start reducing the level of toxic positivity? Yeah, so I wasn't planning to do this, but I, I think I'll do it spontaneously too, which is <laughs> um, we actually wrote a chapter for our new book, Your Unstoppable Greatness, about healthy workplace cultures and how to develop them. That actually, because the book was too big, got excluded, but I will offer it to your listeners and it's full of activities you can do to think about creating healthy workplace cultures. Um, and I'll just offer it to your readers and, and you can put it in the show notes or wherever you want to put it. Um, but it's, it's one that got excluded from this current because it was too big, but, um, I think it might be helpful for them. It's full of activities to think about to do. To develop. Um, well, that is first of all, so generous. Thank you. I personally am looking forward to reading it. <laughs> awesome. I'll be the first to read it. <laughs> and, um, thank you. Thank you. I will absolutely be uh, including this in the show notes. So our, our time is up. I can't believe it. Time flies with you. And um, thank you so much for joining us, spending, you know, uh, just taking this time out of your day to share so with our, our school leaders and coaches to feed into them and help them. I just... mean, I still believe in the work that, that you all do and that it's so incredibly important to society. Like your, your jobs and your roles matter to all of us. And so like, it is a joy to be able to contribute in some way to the, to the important work that you do every day. So thank you. So in the show notes, I will put Dr. Orbe Austin's, all her information, her Instagram, her LinkedIn. I highly recommend if you are on Instagram, please follow her. Her posts are magical and highly (laughs) informational and they're a little bite-sized as well. So um, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Before you go, we would be so authentically grateful if you could take the time to either leave a podcast review right on the platform you're listening to, or if you feel like it, please share on your social media platforms and tag us. We'd love to know how each of the episodes is impacting you and would love to provide an opportunity to give us feedback and ask us questions. So please feel free to share and tag us at the whole educator on Instagram, Becca Silver underscore edu on Twitter, the whole educator community on Facebook, or just Becca Silver on LinkedIn. And until next time, just remember, don't treat people the way you want to be treated, treat them how they want to be treated. Take care.